one of the great things uh, about First Peter is the way that he cycles back through things. So um, even though I miss saying something about a topic, I have another chance later on. Um, so don't worry. Um, I might not say everything about every idea, but I get to cycle back over that whole thing. So we're just going to deal with the first three verses of this chapter, which are more connected to the end of chapter one. Um, so, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for the Spirit of Christ, uh, who was at work in the prophets to predict the sufferings and subsequent glories of Christ. Uh, we thank you that those prophecies were fulfilled and that you subsequently sent the apostles and the evangelists and pastors to uh, tell this good news to us. And we thank you that through this word preached to us, you gave us new life by joining us to Jesus in faith. If we have tasted your goodness in the word, we ask that you would give us a longing for more, even this morning. And so help us to understand what it means to grow up into salvation as we listen to you this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this week, as you may have noticed if you uh, are on Facebook, we had a birthday in our family. Uh, Micah is now 10. She's entered the grand new world of double digits. And about that, she is excited, typically. Okay? I, on the other hand, am not so excited. Because to me, that sort of signals she's one year closer to moving away. This is the, the, the quandary of parents, I think, uh, because we love our children, um, usually. Ah, <laughs> we like to see them grow and yet we also know that we're living on borrowed time. And so there's a sense in which what I really wish I could do is slow down time and slow down growth so that I could enjoy some of these great moments a little bit longer. But, alas, there's nothing... Well, worse than um, a child leaving because they've grown up is a child that never grows up. That forever stays an infant. And as Peter writes to uh, these churches um, in modern-day Turkey, way back when, what is now modern-day Turkey, um, there is that sense in which uh, he's not fearing the day when they will leave home. He wants them to grow up. Even though he knows that they're growing up in a very dangerous environment to grow up. They're, they're not growing up in a, a very uh, safe place, but in fact a very dangerous place. But grow up, they must. The big idea has been changed since you got your notes. It is now... <laughs> 
<laughs> See, God works between Thursday and Sunday. The gospel helps us grow in a faithless place. So I want us to get back. I want us to keep in mind that reality that we are faithful. We are called to be faithful people in a faithless place, and it is the gospel and only the gospel that can help us to grow in that faithless place. But growing up involves getting rid of faithless living. So these people, remember, they were converts. They were most, most of them were adult converts to the truth. And some of you were also in that situation. But yet we also recognize that even children who were born within the bounds of the church are not perfect in any way, shape, or form and still struggle with sin. And so there, the gospel is what, uh, it, well, growing up rather, involves in part getting rid of faithless living that we have taken on. This word so that begins this paragraph, this begins this chapter, is, con- means that this text is connected to the previous text. It's a therefore. Okay, is another way you could translate that little Greek word. It's connected to our regeneration through our union with Jesus Christ that comes through the preaching of the Word. And so this is an implication of these things. And so we must never lose sight of the fact of the the grace that precedes this command. Okay? All of what God has done for us precedes this and is the foundation for which we then move to be able to fulfill this command, which is to put away all malice, as if that wasn't enough, and all deceit, still not enough, and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander. We understand, in part, what it means to put things away. If you have children, you tell them all the time, put that away. It could be dirty clothes. It could be clean clothes. It could be toys that they've left upon the floor or their schoolwork. But you tell them, put that away. And so Peter here, like a good father in a sense, even though he's only an apostle, is telling them to put away certain things. But it's not clean clothes. It's more like dirty clothes. They are to put away things that were associated with their previous life outside of Jesus Christ. There was a way in which the people around them still lived, in which they had once lived themselves, this faithless way of life. And so again, this this command is based on the gospel facts. It's because we have been chosen. It's because we have been uh, sanctified by the Spirit. Because we have been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. Because we have been made alive uh, in the in Christ's resurrection. It's because of all these things that we are to put away those former things. In other words. A different way of putting it is that, that this new life that we have in Christ calls for us to live a new lifestyle to forsake the faithless way that we used to live. This is not particular to Peter. We see this in Ephesians chapter 4. To put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on 
the new self. See it as well. Paul says a similar thing in Colossians chapter 3. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And he lists some things that that community was struggling with. But Peter here uh, lists some things that he thought were particularly pertinent to these churches in what is now modern-day Turkey. And he starts with malice. This is an interesting place to start. Malice, ill will, the desire to injure another person. A desire for violence. In our call to worship this morning, uh, maybe you remember that it talked about how God hates those who love violence. And so this is just another reflection of that truth. Uh, God is not one who is um, malicious towards others. He is wholly just, but God is not malicious. He, he bears no ill will towards people. This is a call to kind of lay aside our, our thirst for revenge in order to forgive. Because we have been forgiven. But what happens when someone hurts you? Your first intention, usually rising up out of your wicked heart, strike back. I'll show you is what we normally think. And that is a very fleshly, wicked way of dealing with this. And Peter says, when it arises, put it away. Deceit. Deceit, which uh, corrodes trust, just like acid tends to corrode metal. Deceit, which we often use to cover up our sins. Deceit, which we can use to destroy others. Sometimes it's pretty little lies. Yesterday, after the worship service, this kindly older lady came to me and said, that was a great service, I believe that. You sing so well, I don't believe that. (laughs) Maybe her hearing aid had gone off, I'm not sure exactly what had happened, but for anyone to say that I sang well, not loudly, but well, I believe is deceitful. I guess I should have told her to put that away. Okay? Um, But the lack of truthfulness destroys community. Hypocrisy is uh, where he goes next. Uh, The idea of wearing a mask, of, of playing roles. And so while you're with people who are in the church, you put on your Christian mask and you act like the good Christian person and you use the good Christian vocabulary, which means you you say things like, oh, shoot, or shucks, instead of other words that you use at work when you're wearing your work mask. You're one person with your wife, and you're someone else with your secretary. You're one person with your best friend, and you're another with your pastor. You are a chameleon, like those little lizards that change color to blend in with their surroundings. Put away envy, he says. 
Envy wants what other people have. It wants uh, their job instead of the job that uh, you have. It wants their spouse instead of the spouse that you have. It wants their car instead of the junky car that you drive. It wants their wealth, their power, or perhaps spiritually their gifts instead of your gifts. Their position rather than yours. And so what happens is that envy uh, can take, can mean that we can steal, or envy just means that resentment builds up in the relationship because now you don't like that person. There was a really lousy movie with Ben Stiller called Envy that uh, kind of played this whole thing out in a relationship with a neighbor. But it's something that all too often eats away at relationships. Slander. He says, put away slander. Stop speaking evil of another person, whether it's false or whether, you know, in this case it's false, okay? But it's intended to destroy, it's intended to uh, minimize, to steal their glory, to steal their dignity in the eyes of another human being so that you look better. Slander. And so what's, what all these things have in common is they're largely connected, of course, to the Ten Commandments, which is why we read the Ten Commandments this morning that we see in Exodus 20. But there also are things that destroy community. All of these things destroy relationship in one way or another. No marriage can survive persistent malice or deceit or hypocrisy. No friendship can endure envy. No church family can survive with slander and deceit and and malice. For the sake of the body of Christ, these things are to be put away. For the sake of the glory of Jesus Christ, these things are to be put away. Because they are the antithesis of love, and therefore they are the antithesis of God's character. And if you want to see the damage they do, just open your eyes to America today. Go on to any social network you want, and you will see these things destroying relationships. Just listen to the political discourse within our country right now and you see how people cannot disagree and remain friends anymore. It's bloodlust. And it destroys friendships and communities. And so great is the danger that Peter is warning them about. He knows the damage these things can do. Rather, we are to put on, as Paul says in Romans 13, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And so one of the ways in which we put these things away is that we are to, as best we can, make no provision for their being there in the first place. I was talking with one of our deacons outside yesterday, and he talked about how um, his crack is dry roasted peanuts. Okay, I won't share his name. That's back there. Okay. Um, (laughs) He can't make provision for dry roasted peanuts because once they get into his house, 
he's going to consume the jar. It starts with, I'll have a few, and then the next thing he knows, the whole jar is gone. I'm that way with Pringles. I don't know why Guy Jones keeps bringing me Pringles. <laughs> it sends my blood pressure up through the roof. So sometimes we don't even allow something into our lives. Because we know that for it to be there means that we now have no defense. It's easier to resist it when it's far away than when it's up close and available to us right at that moment. But also, we recognize that sometimes we cannot um, avoid temptation because the greatest enemy is not Satan. Our greatest enemy is within our own hearts. And so we are a walking temptation. (laughs) We're a walking um, danger zone, shall we say. Right now, this will make sense in a second. Um, (laughs) It's that time of year in Arizona, and we, like many of you, have those doves that keep wanting to nest in inconvenient places of the house. Okay, we keep kicking them out of our garage. They'd like our garage. Okay. Well, Martin Luther notes that you cannot stop a bird from landing on your head, but you can keep it from building a nest there. Okay. We, we can't stop the bird from getting into our garage, but we can stop it from building a nest in our garage. You can't stop yourself from experiencing temptation, but by the grace of God, you can resist that temptation and the power of the Spirit, say no to it, and kill it by the power of the Spirit. And so that's really what I think Peter is trying to get at, and we'll explore that more fully in, in I think, in the, the weeks to come. But For now, let us know that new life in Christ rejects the faithless living of your past as we grow up in Jesus. Secondly, grow up through the pure milk of the gospel. This negative command is followed by a positive command, which indicates once again the two sides of sanctification, that process by which we die more and more to sin and become alive more and more to God's grace and become more and more like Jesus. Okay? So on the one hand, you're putting away the old. On the other hand, unlike those other passages where it's put on, it's crave or long for pure spiritual milk like or as if you were a newborn infant. And I think he's really, that's part of why I think it's tied to chapter 1 because he's talked about how they've been born again. They were born again through the imperishable Word because that imperishable Word is Jesus Himself who has life in and of Himself. And so the eternal life that they have is therefore imperishable because they're connected to the imperishable One, Jesus. And so they're they're born again, and, and because they're like these newborn infants, they should long for this pure spiritual milk. He's not calling them babes. He's not calling them immature, as Paul sometimes does. Uh, you know, 1 Corinthians 3, he kind of implies that about the Corinthians because, well, they were, okay? Um, we see that as well in Hebrews. Uh, 
<coughs> excuse me, because they were immature. There's not necessarily the implication that these people are immature, but just the reality of their being babes and needing to grow. I cannot chastise my daughter for acting like she's 10 because she's 10. But I want her to grow up, even though it means she's closer to leaving and breaking my heart. Don't you ever leave. Um, so, he points out, his goal is to point out the, that they must continue to mature, and he points them to this direction, this thing that they should long for, that they should crave, in order that they should grow up. Just like babies need mom's milk and therefore cry for it, Christians have a need for a kind of milk. And they instinctively cry for it. Before I was a Christian, I tried to read the Bible. And, you know, I would be bored by it rather quickly. When I became a Christian, suddenly no one had to tell me, Steve, read your Bible. I just wanted to because I was a brand new babe in Jesus Christ and I craved milk and it, it wasn't something I thought about. I need to start doing this. It was, I wanted to. And that's really kind of the idea that Peter has here. If you're in Christ, you have this longing to know more of Christ and there should be a longing to, to be in the Word. Don't suffocate it by being in everything else instead of the Word. But he qualifies this. Pure spiritual milk. And so we're not looking at, you know, physical milk, but the, the pure aspect of it. Even in that day, there were unscrupulous people. Hey, people marked by deceit. <laughs> Who would... No one's looking. Let's put some extra water and stretch how far this milk goes so I can sell more and make more money. They were deceitful store owners and farmers. And so they were familiar with this concept. And so Peter is reminding them that they should look for milk that is not contaminated, milk that is not a watered-down sort of thing, he warns them against this impure and weak milk. And so when I was uh, a brand new Christian and I had been in church for only a few months um, and when I moved into my brownstone in South Boston, we had cable TV. And one of the things that they had on cable TV was Christian television or networks. I know, it's an oxymoron, isn't it? Um, and so I started watching this one guy, and it was pretty interesting. And then I started to pick up on some problems and the things he was saying. It was Frederick Price. We're a faith. Kind of crazy stuff. And so it was a very contaminated milk. And it was one I had to walk away from lest I damage my own soul. And so many, unfortunately, get lost in that message. But the truth can be contaminated not just with word of faith uh, heresy, it can be contaminated with moralism. 
legalism. Don't do this, don't do that, don't touch. We saw this when we studied in, in uh, yeah, Colossians. It can be contaminated with cheap grace. A, a grace that only talks about pardon, but not purification. It can be contaminated with ritualism. And the list goes on and on because Satan, he is a crafty one, and so are our hearts. We are to long for it for a purpose. And Peter says that purpose is that by it you may grow up into salvation. Now, catch that. Okay? It doesn't mean that by it you may be saved, but that you may grow up into salvation. Okay, wait a minute. We, we read from Ephesians 4. And there, Paul talked about the, uh, the, how part of the gifts that uh, Jesus gave to his church were the apostles and the pastors and the teachers and evangelists that helped people to do ministry so that everyone's working together. And so this idea of the body growing up into the head Christ. And so the idea is, um, you know, we've all seen infants, right? And their head is bigger than their body. I, I was tempted years ago, I can't remember if I actually did it, we, we have a nephew who at that point in time, his head was still really big. He was about eight or nine. And so I was going to name a sermon on Ephesians 4, Nick's big head. Um, <laughs> And how he had to grow up into it. His body hadn't done that yet. It still needed to. Everyone's body had to do that. Had to grow up so that it was properly proportioned to the size of the head. We're all sort of like children wearing adult clothes. We've seen pictures of kids wearing dad's suit, you know, in the... The goal is that one day the child grows into the suit. And instead of joking around and with the floppy sleeves hanging down, now the hands have emerged from the sleeves because the child is grown. And that's what Peter is talking about. You're already a person in Christ. But he longs for you to grow to become increasingly like Christ as a result. And in other words, the same gospel word that was preached that gave them life in Christ is the word that is intended to be heard so that they can continue to grow in Christ. You don't get one message to become a Christian and then another message because you're a Christian. It's the same message of God's amazing grace that helps us to grow after we have been converted. We see hints of this in places like Colossians 2. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding with thanksgiving. And so he tells them, keep going like you started by faith in the message that you heard. We see the same thing in Galatians because they had departed from that message and started to rely upon their obedience for their standing with God. And Paul says, no, 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 no. It's all about faith. 
in the message that was preached to you about the work of Jesus Christ for you. And so that's part of why I love this passage in uh, Luther's commentary on Galatians that he says, this is why we so often repeat and beat into your minds the forgiveness of sins and imputation of righteousness for Christ's sake. And that's what Luther saw that ministry was. He just kept bringing that up, bringing that up, bringing that up, because we so quickly depart from that. And so we need to be reminded frequently about what God has done for us so that we do not rely on what we think we do for God. No Christian, in this instance, outgrows their need for this milk because they are still in the process of maturing. Maturing. Okay? We think of a child, and if a child doesn't get enough vitamin D, you know, enough milk, what happens? They get rickets. Well, it's not like a child becomes an adult and don't worry, you don't need to worry about rickets anymore because lo and behold, there's this thing when you get older called osteoporosis. You still need calcium. I don't take milk anymore, I like cheese. But nonetheless, we need that so that our bones are healthy, so we continue to grow, and that's the same idea here. We still will grow. To grow into this salvation is, as I mentioned, to grow up in Christ our head and to become more like Christ as we see in Ephesians 4. And without the pure milk of the gospel, we are like that grass in chapter 1 that withers, the flower that fades. If If we're not longing for and receiving that milk of the gospel, we are going to wither, brothers and sisters. And so we do need to engage, not just in private, personal Bible reading, but also the ministry of the church should be engaged in presenting the milk to the people without contamination. So new life in Christ craves the pure milk of the Word to grow up in Jesus And here's the amazing thing. The thing that astounds me is that the gospel gives us God. You see, that craving. There seems to be a condition there uh, to understand why one may not have that craving. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. If you have already tasted that the Lord is good, you are going to long for that pure spiritual milk. If you have not tasted the goodness of the Lord, you will be indifferent or opposed to that pure spiritual milk. Now, Peter doesn't just kind of pull this out of nowhere. He he quotes from Psalm 34, and uh, we read that psalm yesterday as our call to worship at the memorial service. And if you go a little bit farther in that psalm, what you find is the rejection of all of those sins, basically, that we just read about in verse 1. <laughs> the person who has experienced the goodness of the Lord, who has tasted and seen the goodness of the Lord, turns their back on malice and and envy and deceit and hypocrisy. 
Because they know there's something better. Because they've tasted it. Just as we see in Hebrews 6, that these people have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and they want more. And so, in this pure spiritual milk of the Word, we have amazingly tasted the goodness of God and want more. The first time I had an ugly steak, at the Boyer's house, because the McCurdy's brought some, I knew I wanted more. I could have ugly steaks every week if I could afford them, but I can't. It's something I desire. It's not an acquired taste. It's, you taste it and go, that's good. I want more. My cheesy risotto is a favorite within the family, and so usually on birthday meals, what I hear for, request for is cheesy risotto. They have tasted it. They have said it's good, and they want it. And so we taste the goodness of God in the Word because God, who is good, speaks to us in the Word about His goodness. And so there's a sense here in which we cannot separate God from His Word. It is good because He is good. And it is, in a sense, part of the overflow of who He is. He speaks. It's like Jesus said, you know, we speak out of the overflow of our hearts. So God also speaks out of the overflow of His heart. And unlike us, His heart is good. And so the things that He say are good and will continually reveal His goodness towards others. And so we see <coughs> that because He's God, He's infinitely good. He is like a spring which overflows with this life-giving water, which is His Word. The goodness of God overflows in creation. Therefore, all that He made was declared to be good, and then on the sixth day, everything was very good. Because God who made it was good. The goodness of God overflows to us who are sinners in the Gospel. It is good that Jesus identified with us in His incarnation. He became like us so that He could make us like Himself. And so we see that His obedience on our behalf is good. We see that His suffering for our sins is good. The good it reflects the goodness of God for the redemption of sinners. We see His resurrection by which we live a new life is good. We see His ascension to God's right hand as our mediator forever to pray for us is good. Part of the overflow of His goodness. In the new movie, Logan, there's this scene as Charles Xavier is on the bed and someone, I don't want to give plot away, he thinks is Logan, comes near and he says, this was the most perfect day ever.
and I don't deserve it. And so we look at the goodness and there should be a bounce back in our hearts of the recognition we don't deserve it. But that's how great and overwhelming is the goodness of God that it doesn't, the grace does not come only to those who deserve it. In fact, it only comes to those who don't deserve it. And so the goodness of God should well up within us in terms of gratitude. Because we recognize we don't deserve this kindness from His hands. But it's not just God giving us good things. It's that God gives us Himself in the Gospel. That's really what's been pointed at throughout the Bible. And I had an interaction with somebody. They thought that the promise of the New Covenant, um, you know, that God will be their God and that they will be His people was like a new thing. That's what made it a New Covenant. And I'm like, you haven't been reading the rest of the Old Testament. It's all the way back in Genesis and it keeps going all the way through. That's always been the idea of salvation, that you will be My people and I will be your God. He gives Himself to His people. Not just forgiveness, not just pardon, not just righteousness. We receive these because we receive God Himself in the Gospel, which is why John Piper wrote a great book, God is the Gospel. Not a very long book. If you can find it, read it. I can't remember if we have it in the library, but we should have it. Because God gives us Himself And so we learn of who He is through the Scriptures. The work of Christ, which is revealed in the Word of God, reveals His mercy, reveals His forgiveness, reveals His righteousness, reveals His grace, reveals the the manifold goodness of God towards sinners. There's a book I'm reading by this guy I'd never heard of before, Rankin Wilborn. He notes that the Bible is living and active because the living Christ is actively speaking through these words. And so the Spirit of Christ who gave the Word to the prophets and then to us through the evangelists so that we can taste and revel in Christ's goodness. Think about that when you're thinking about a gospel conversation with somebody. That you are offering them God, the good God. Not simply a get-out-of-hell-free card, but you're offering them God Himself. And so growing up is hard to do even in the best of circumstances. But when you're in exile like those people were and like we are, when you live in a faithless place, growing up can seem to be even harder. But we see that God gives us Himself in this pure milk of the Word so that we can put away the old way of life that was characterized by unbelief. As we drink in the Word, we will grow up 
And we will become more like Christ because we taste more and more of His goodness. Do you long for that? Do you long for that milk? Well, He freely offers Himself to us in the Word, both living and written, and we don't dare separate them. So drink deeply. Drink often that you might grow up into the salvation you have received by God's grace. Let's pray. Father, I really identify with those words that uh, Charles Xavier spoke in that movie. The I don't deserve this part. And we are debtors to your mercy. Debtors to your grace. We don't deserve any of the goodness that you show to us. But may that not keep us from it. For it certainly doesn't keep it from us. Because you are gracious as part of your goodness. Father, help us to have a greater longing for the Word. To really think of it as something that is like mother's milk to a baby. Something essential to, to kind of who we are and not some superfluous extra thing. Through it, help us to believe that you are good. Because there's so many voices that cry out that say you're not. That is one of the lies that the evil one wants us to believe. Just as he convinced Eve that you were not good. That you could not be trusted. Our own flesh fosters this lie. And so, Father, we need your word to fight those lies and believe truth. Help us to believe not only that you're good, but that, as we sang yesterday, you have promised us good. And so, Father, in light of that, help us to see sin for what it is, which is not good. so that we put it away just as we would put away a viper, just as we would put away venom or poison. We can only do that by your grace. And we ask that you would grant it. For Christ's sake, amen.